I don't know about for you, but um, in my family, when we pick on you and when we make fun of you, that's when we really love you, right? Anybody else got a family like that? Um, well, I, I, Taryn and I did long distance for two years, and we would meet in the middle at her aunt and uncle's house um, in Atlanta. And one weekend, apparently, it was pick on Kyle weekend. It was, you ever have one of those weekends where like apparently everyone is just going to make fun of me and this is what the whole weekend's about. And so they kept doing it and what they picked on me this particular weekend was for messing up cliches, like things that I was supposed to know, like how the phrase went, the cliche went, I would mess it up. So like there's this one, like one fell swoop is what the actual saying is, but I kept saying one felt swoop. I don't know. I don't know how it made sense, but it made sense in my brain. I thought that's how I heard it. Anybody ever done that with a, a phrase or a cliche? <clears throat> that wasn't the only one, though. It kept going, and they just kept razzing me, and like I just m- missed stuff. There was old, I'd call it old wise tales, and it's actually old wives' tales for those of you that maybe think it's wise. It's old wives' tales. So I would just mess up these things, and maybe you've never done that with cliches or something like that you're supposed to know, but I know that you cannot get through life without messing up some lyrics of songs, right? You ever thought the lyrics said one thing and they actually said something really different? Um, well, I've got some for you today that I think you, you'll get a kick out of. The first one is uh, that, that people commonly mispronounce is Jimi Hendrix, Purple Haze. Ex- people think it says, excuse me while I kiss this guy, but it actually says, excuse me while I kiss the sky. So big difference, still weird either way. Um, I know all of you know Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. Let's all sing the main line. Whoa, living, all right, right? But do you remember this part? It doesn't matter if we're naked or not. No, it's actually, it doesn't matter if we make it or not is the actual lyric. It's not naked. That's not what he's talking about. It doesn't matter if you're naked, people. Um, Abba's song, Dancing Queen. Let's roll it back a little bit further, Abba. Uh, Dancing Queen, feel the beat from the tangerine. It's not tangerine, it's actually tambourine is the actual lyric, so um, here you go. We're just going further and further back. Let's take the monkeys. And then I saw her face. Now I'm going to leave her. It's actually not I'm going to leave her. The song's called I'm a Believer. All the believers in the house said amen. <clears throat> amen. That's all right. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that Johnny Cash wrote this song, but the old song, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. It's actually a Johnny Cash song, and a lot of people think it says, I can see clearly now Lorraine is gone. So maybe you've got a, a, a friend, an ex-friend, or an ex-girlfriend, uh, guys in, in the house, that you're glad you can see clearly now that she's out of your life. Uh, you, remember, you remember Queen? You, know, you guys remember Queen? We will, we will rock you, kicking your cat all over the place. You remember that part? No, it's actually, people think it says cat, it's actually kicking your can all over the place, right? Kicking your can all over the place, right? One of my favorite songs of all time is Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, right? If you know the lyrics to Billy Joel's uh, We Didn't Start the Fire, it's so easy to mess that one up. We didn't start the fire, it was always burning, said the worst attorney is what some people think it says. It's actually since the world's been turning, not said the worst attorney. Uh, a couple more for you. You guys probably remember REM's Losing My Religion. Uh, some people think it says, let's pee in the corner. Let's pee in the spotlight. That's not what it says. It doesn't say let's pee in the corner. It says that's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight. And then lastly, any Pearl Jam fans? Anybody grew up on Pearl Jam? Like Pearl Jam? Yeah, a lot of people think it says, I will, off of uh, his le- yellow lead better. And the actual lyrics are, nobody has any idea because nobody can understand what that guy says. 
right? <laughs> no one knows what he says. That's the lyrics in that song. So um, we, we commonly misunderstand things. We, like, we think we understand it, and we'll sing it for years. We'll say that cliche for, for years until someone makes fun of us for it. No, until someone kind of brings it up that we're wrong about that, then we have to kind of face the fact that and the embarrassment that we've been wrong for a long time. Uh, many of you know my, my story. I, I, grew up, I grew up in the church, but for the long time, longest time, I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't really understand. I mean, even growing up in church, and, and I was in Sunday school, I was at every service. Every time the doors were open, we were there. It took me a long time to actually understand the gospel, and I don't blame it on the church. I really think it was my selfishness and me making the gospel what I wanted it to be. And, and I think we often do this in our faith. There's lots of counterfeit gospels, and we're actually going to look at some of them. And as we kind of begin to go through them, I don't want you to raise your hand, but in your heart, maybe you say, yeah, that, that one, I, that, that's me. I, I, I used to kind of see the gospel that way. Or maybe right now, I'm, I think I'm kind of thinking that's more of the gospel, and I really want to understand it. So um, I really want us to, to paint a clear picture for what the gospel is, and we're going to begin to uh, get it back into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But I think this misunderstanding and really understanding the gospel is, is very important. It, it's utmost in understanding God's love for us, because we often distort that. Let me just break the gospel down in really simple form with just a few scriptures. One is Romans 3.23. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That we've all sinned, every single one of us. That we fall short. And I think that's something that we can all identify with, that we sin. Um, the gospel doesn't leave us there. The gospel is that, that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Um, that, that, that's, and he, he, sent, he gave his son. It's a, it's a gift is what Ephesians 2 um, verses 6 through 8 says that it's not by our own works, it's not by what we've done ourselves, it's, it's by faith and grace that we've been saved, uh, not by our works that we can't boast. And I, I think a lot, oftentimes we kind of leave it there, it's receiving the gift of grace and then not moving into uh, the full gospel, which is the, the gospel ministry, that we are called to the gospel ministry, that's a part of it. And many times we separate it, we make it different things, that we're empowered for the ministry of reconciliation. We'll read that text later today. So it's oftentimes we misunderstand this kind of very basic gospel that's not about the works that we've, we do, but it's about what Jesus did. And from that place, from receiving that, all the good things flow. All good things flow. And so that, that's principle. But I think we, we take on all these other counterfeit gospels along the way. Let, let me share a couple with you. A couple. I mean like eight. Um, so identify. Don't raise your hand. Um, but, but just think in your head, which one kind of really speaks to you? Which one have you kind of made um, your gospel? The therapeutic gospel. Sin robs us of our sense of fullness. Christ's death proves our worth as humans and gives us power to reach our potential. The church helps us find happiness. That last sentence probably wraps up the therapeutic gospel. Some of you, you've probably come here because you're not happy, because life's not feeling super fulfilled. You feel like the things that you're doing are kind of robbing you of fullness and so maybe you, you've bought into a therapeutic gospel. It's really just about finding happiness. Now, that's a fruit of the real gospel, but that's not the gospel. It's not just to make us happy, which when you, you see false teachers, like sometimes um, around the world, that, that's just the preaching. It's about making you happy, and, and you kind of red flags need to go up because it's not all about making you happy. That's the fruit of the real gospel happening. That's the formalist gospel. This is really popular in the South. Some of you grew up in a formalist gospel, also kind of legalism. Sin is failing to keep church rules and regulations. Christ's death gives me an agenda. What You'd come to church and like, hey, these are the things you shouldn't be doing this week. These are the rules that you should be keeping. So I can begin to follow the prescribed forms of Christianity. Some of us 
even if we don't come from a legalistic background, we come in and be like, I just need to tell me what I can't do and what I can't do, and then it'll just be easier, and we, we lean into a formalist gospel, and that's not the gospel. Let's continue. There, there, I've got a bunch more. The judgmentless gospel. This is very popular in our day and age. God's forgiveness does not need to come through the sacrifice of a son. Judgment is more about God's goodness, not the need for human rebellion to be punished. Evangelism is... Um, uh, is not urgent. The judgment, like go- judgmentless gospel, and it's really not in, in our life. We should be kind of uh, as understand the full gospel is that God is just, and, and with that there is there's judgment in that. There's consequence for sin. Social club gospel, man. This one's popular too in the South. Salvation's all about finding fellowship and friendship at church. Some of y'all come in here to look and try to find you a mate, uh, and that's not what that's not what the church is. Um, the gospel is reduced to Christian relationships that help us enjoy life. Let's keep going. You find one that identifies with you that you've maybe bought into before? The activist gospel, another popular one these days. The kingdom is advanced through our efforts to build a just society. The gospel's power is demonstrated through cultural transformation, and the churches unite around political causes and social projects. Again, it's, it, we shouldn't be united ar- around the, the social causes. The social causes come out of the gospel and what the full-bodied gospel within the context of the church living out um, social justice. That's where that comes from. So lo- a lot of people just kind of want the social aspects of church or, or the social justice aspects of what the gospel is, but it, it's, it's much fuller than that. The churchless gospels, this is probably one of the, the most popular these days. The focus of salvation is primarily on the individual in a way that makes the community of faith peripheral to God's purposes. The church is viewed as an option to personal spirituality or even an obstacle to Christ-likeness. I don't know how many times I've heard this and talking to people, man, I'm just a better Christian without the, without the church. I'm like, well, you probably need to find a, a new church or you've got a, kind of a whacked view of what the, the church is. That got, You can't take the head without also taking the body. You can't have the groom without also loving the bride, right? If you're going to love the groom, you're going to love what the groom loves, and that's the bride. That's the church. So we, we often buy into this. Let's keep going. Got a few more. Mystic gospel. Another popular one, salvation comes through uh, an emotional experience with God. The church is there to help me feel close to God by helping me along in my pursuit of mystical union or just, it's kind of just the spirituality, like I'm just spiritual and, and this is kind of the place where I feel close to God and it's really about me feeling close and that's the, that's the essence of it and, and it's, it's not fuller than that, it's much bigger. Um, the quietest gospel, salvation is about spiritual things, not secular matters. Christianity is about the individual life change and not concerned with society and politics. Again, that's kind of flipping uh, the paradigm on the, the activist gospel in that it, we either want one way or other. And so there's a lot of things in here that are heresy. There, there's some things in here that they're good, but we're missing the, the full body of it and the full body of the gospel and what it empowers us and leads us to do. And so I want to, did you find one? Did you see one that maybe you had identified with? If you were really honest with yourself, man, I've, I've kind of went into that social club mode that I'm really here just about the relationships, or I'm here just to feel closer, or just to feel happy, or to kind of, this is kind of my therapy. Man, I need to get to church and just get my, get my therapy. And a lot of times we find ourselves identifying with these, but it's so much fuller, our relationship with God, and encountering his love is so much Deeper, and that, I want at that time now. I really want to kind of turn our attention to First Corinthians chapter thirteen. We started here last week, and we really started uh, at the very top. And I kind of gave us the context that Paul's teaching to the church at Corinth here in his first letter 
it, of 12 to 14 is really he's talking about spiritual gifts and our body working together. It's fit together, that you have something unique to bring to the table that I don't have, that God is using you in a unique way that probably no one else is in this house. And that when we work those together, it doesn't matter how good we are at those things, how skilled we are in those giftings. Uh, if we don't have love, then we've completely lost it. And so there's three, ind- uh, there's three really kind of themes that we're running through this series. The first is that love is indispensable. Like without it, you got nothing. It doesn't matter how good, like good you think you are or how like, um, good of a, a church person you, you think you are being. If you're not expressing it in love, if you're not doing it in love, then you've completely missed it. Uh, love is received before it's given, that you can't give what you don't have. And then thirdly, love is a thoughtful action. It's not a feeling. This isn't about how loving you feel or whether you're quite the loving person or not. This is really uh, about thoughtful action inspired by how God has loved us and receiving that. So let's turn our attention. Let's go to verse 1. Let's read down to verse 5, and and we'll stop there and and unpack verse 5. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. He's talking about being a martyr. You can be a martyr, but if you don't do it in love, then you got nothing. Uh, Love is patient. Um, Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. And this is where we're going to spend verse 5. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. As I said last week, as we begin to read these, it doesn't take long to start feeling convicted about something this week and um, uh, something that's going on in your life. And so I really, when I was in uh, taking preaching courses, they said, um, in your sermon bullet points, always make sure everything's in the positive, right? You don't say does not, does not, but Paul does everything in the negative here. But what I really want to help us do is understand what the life that God has called us to, what he has called us to. Um, that this isn't a, a matter because it starts with well, what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. And so let's just continue in that theme by taking this verse 5 and really understanding the life that God calls us to and what our love should look like. And again, re- remembering that it all comes from the Lord and then it's, it's given out. Um, so let's talk about that. I think the first thing, the first thing in, in our life that he calls us to, to live is a life of honor. He calls us to, to lead lives of honor. This is not a, a word that's talked about much. It says, do not, that it doesn't, uh, love does not dishonor others. A life of honor. When you think of the word honor, you might think of uh, a special ceremony. You might think of, you know, bestowing a special honor on someone. Um, but really, honor is so much deeper and so much more common. It should be way more common within the body of Christ. Really, the, the Greek terminology here, it means a prescribed like right actions. It's basically like righteousness, and it's doing it the right way, but in our relationships to one another, um, that we, we, we go about things the right way. We, we know how to handle. And in, in the early ancient Mediterranean society, honor was a big deal. Like, how many of y'all ever got in trouble in high school and, or, or as adults, and you embarrass your mama? You ever had something like that? <laughs> like, um, I got kids now, and like the worst thing that can happen is like when you're in Target and like the kid just decides to act insane, and you're like, "What has possessed you?" And you're like, "Embarrass me!" I don't know how many times I heard my dad say, "Son, don't you embarrass me." 
or don't make me embarrass you in front of your friends, you know. Um, I think at the, at the first kind of tip layer of that is, is something that was been there for the ancient Mediterranean society. If, you, if you're Indian or you come from Middle Eastern culture, uh, or maybe you have a friend that is, you know in their society that honor's a big deal. Like, you, you pick a profession that is honorable. You behave in an honorable way. There is right ways to act, and there are wrong ways to act. And where we're at in our culture, like, everybody's looking to pick apart everybody's actions, right? We can't let anything slide. And more than anything, I, I think it's to the church, too. Like, any kind of one little action that, that's wrong, like, you just, they're coming after you. I grew up in a pastor's home. My wife grew up in a pastor's home. And we survived, you know. A lot of times people say that pastor's kids won't, won't come out, um, but, but we really have and come out with a deep passion for the church. And part of the life as a PK, uh, there's a little bit of a struggle because there's a lot of things you have to do, uh, and there's a lot of things you can't do that other kids got to do. Um, I kind of grew up kind of in with a glass house and everybody kind of looking. Or even if they weren't, it kind of felt like they were. Uh, just kind of on, on this... Uh, podium for people to, to view and to criticize, and um, so there's a lot of things we could do and we couldn't, and I felt myself getting embittered, because I, I think the motivation for me doing what was right, and the honor was coming from the external and not the internal. Paul said it to the church at Ephesus in, in Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 3, he said, and he's in prison at the time, and he says this, as a prisoner of the, for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I think most of us, when we begin to receive and feel God's love coming to us, most of us, we push it back and say, I'm not worthy. In fact, I've had conversations with people in our church, maybe it's time to come to the table or in just dealing with their own struggle and the relationship with God, and they're like, I'm not worthy to come. And I'm like, I know, isn't that amazing <laughs> that God calls us anyway? Isn't it amazing that he loves us anyway? Like, that's the, the depth of of understanding the gospel, that it's not because we are worthy, but he's made us worthy. He's shown us honor in laying down his life and taking on the least honorable position, you know, naked in front of people, bleeding out, beaten, betrayed, spit on. He took that dishonorable place and shame for us. And, and I, it calls us to live a life worthy of that. And so my motivation isn't because these are the rules and regulations that I'm supposed to do. These are the things or whatever. I, I do it at a place of honor. And I think if, if we are internally motivated by our relationship with God, uh, then it'll move us towards holiness. If not, if it's externally motivated, we're just doing it just to kind of appease and, and just to speak highly and, and just to kind of keep face, then we'll get embittered and, and it'll turn into legalism. So it's got to be internally motivated and that's when it'll lead us to, to holiness. So honor is, is a bigger thing than probably what we've tapped into, but it comes from the place of knowing the Lord. I, I think um, one of uh, my mentors would always say, God cares more about how you treat people than he does your ministry. And a lot of times we think that we've got so much to, to, to offer and to give, and, and we do, and, and, and there's a lot to be said about that. But God cares more about how you treat people and living a life of honor, to live, up worthy, live a life worthy of that calling we've received. So we pursue it, not out of just making people happy, but really out of honoring the Lord and trying to live a life that's, that's worthy of that, 
that. Um, so the first thing is honor. The, the second thing that it says is that it's not self-seeking. It's not self-seeking. That's a tough one. That's a really tough one because we're all selfish. Uh, I think selfishness, uh, how many of you guys grew up in Florida? Raise your hand. Raise, grew up in Florida. How many of you did not grow up in Florida? Okay. All right. For those that did not grow up to Florida, grew up in Florida, some of y'all have moved here recently, um, and maybe you've had an encounter with a cockroach. Anybody know what I'm about? The cucaracha? Um, when you have an encounter with a cockroach that you kill, and you put in that paper towel, and you throw it in the trash, and then you come back around the corner five minutes later, and he's sitting on the trash can looking at you, right? <laughs> That is selfish. That's selfishness in our life. That's being self-seeking. We kill it every day, and it pops right back up. We have, it, it's, Paul said we've got to constantly crucify our flesh. We've got to constantly slay that in our life. And I think it's, it's very difficult in our relationships, particularly within the church, that you ever wonder about people's motives, question people's motives, like what they're really after, Right? Probably you question it about the church sometimes. What are they really after? Question it about a spouse or your boss or you just feel used and abused. Well, it's very difficult, I think, for us to get to a place and we in our relationships that we're not really looking for anything. I you're not the means to an end. My friendships, I just don't want to use you on my terms. Right? And I think... For a lot of us, I think this is, this is a, a daily struggle that we just use people for what we can. We don't realize how self-seeking we really live, and we just, we just kind of squeeze people, and then we just toss them. And Next time you have a conversation, just try. And this is tough for me. Uh, anybody ever have diarrhea at the mouth? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's awful sickness. Um, I've grossed you guys out today, like peeing in the corner and like, Dudes kissing each other and, like, naked dudes. Um, I've, I've weirded you guys out today. Sorry. Um, I find myself sometimes in conversations just wanting to get all my message out. I think one of the, the tangible things for selflessness is to really hear yourself. You ever have that friend, you're like, I wish they could just hear themselves talk. Because they're just annoying. <laughs> or they're just so selfish and they're so self-consumed. I think listening to ourselves is a skill and a discipline that's really developed, and it helps be mindful of this roach that will not die, that we have to kill every single day. And I think where it's killed is always going. People wonder, why do we do communion every week? I, I didn't grow up in an environment where we did communion every week. But keeping the gospel and keeping what Christ sacrificed at the center, not that he's, he's, uh, we're crucifying him every week, but that he's alive and we're bringing us back to what Jesus did for us. Hopefully he's going to keep us ridding ourselves of our own pride that this is about our religion and this is about our kind of goodness, but it's about the goodness of God and what he did at the cross. Uh, and nothing's more selfless than having to say, not my will, but yours be done. And, and, and I just pray right now, I, I, I just get a vision for what kind of experience people would have if in this house, when we, we come together, that really we would not just be se like selfishly motivated, that we're just coming to, to be happy and to get relationships on our terms and when we can get them and wring everything we can get out of it and then run away. 
I feel like church is, we feel like it's an excuse because church is a hospital and it, and it is like for us to heal and restore. But so many of us, we come in with self-seeking motives to the body of Christ. And I want to point you back to the context of what Paul's talking about. He's talking right in the middle of our gatherings and our giftings, meeting together and our personalities and the busyness of our life. He says that we shouldn't be self-seeking that we should be giving, that we should be serving, that we should be honoring one another in this way. So this is the type of what God's love does for us, and Jesus has been the example. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, ch- five verse 15, says it more bluntly than um, I could. And he died for all, and that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That we, that we, we live for God and we serve God for God. We, we serve the people around as if unto Christ. So God's love leads us towards lives of honor, of selflessness. And the next one's tough. Love is not easily angered. And uh, I feel like I need to pull up a chair and lay down on a couch and just kind of tell you what I'm going through. Can I do that for just a second? So we had our, our beautiful little girl a couple weeks ago. And um, all of a sudden, in the past probably three weeks a month, and this week I feel like it's hit the head. My wife would never come up here and, and, and speak down and like and like lay my my laundry out there. But I've been really short tempered lately. Can I get an amen? I, she, she won't do it. She's she, she's so good to me. Um, I've been real short tempered lately, and I, I don't know kind of what's going on. I'm just trying to pray through it, and God, like, why am I being? Just a little bit stressed, I guess, uh, maybe about home life and adding this third baby. You can probably get that. Um, and so I've just been, it's so funny that I feel like this week would be the peak of it as I have to get up and kind of talk about being easily angered. And I think what really the heart of this is, is about God leads us toward, his love leads us towards a life of peace. And our house is, is very peaceful. We're, we're, we're peacemakers. We don't argue a lot. We can name like real arguments on one hand. Um, and there, it may even be half of one hand, just a few fingers, um, that we really have a home of peace. We both really fight for it in our home. Um, but I've been real real short-tempered, and I, I think maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been in a place where um, you, you flip out over the dumbest little things. Like, what? Are we literally divorcing over the toothpaste, right? The toothpaste cap, you ever heard of that? Like people like divorcing over the tiniest things? Uh, it, but it's never about that, right? It's never about these little things that set us off. It's all, there's always another story. There's always other things that are making angry, making us angry. And what I've learned is that most of the time, the reason we're angry and the roots of our anger is that we're not in control. And the life that God calls us to is a life of peace, and that life of peace comes in releasing control. I stopped worrying about the future as, as a whole, right, uh, on a general daily basis. I still have my times where it comes up and I've got to deal with it. Um, but I stopped worrying about it when I really released and know that God has it under control. I was able, I'm able to, to stiff arm, like I, I've been using this phrase, and I guess I'm in football season, to a lot of our leaders about things that they're going through in their life. And I, I say there's two different ways to stiff arm somebody, and I'm not talking about the Heisman pose or something else. But there's two, like all, every day, like the enemy is like bringing these things into our life of anxiety, of fear, of shame, of you name it. 
bringing these things into our life, and w- most of the time we're trying to stiff arm them. We're like, no, we're trying not to deal. There's two ways to do that, though. One is we stiff arm it, and we shove it under the rug. And the other way is I stiff arm it, I look you in the eyes, I know who you are, and I'm not, in, and I kind of pr- be able, I have the ability to be able to proclaim scripture over it and the truth over it. I'm like, no, you're a lie, and I'm not going to deal with that. Because Christ says made a way through the cross. So there's two different ways to do it. It's not just a matter of shoving it and pushing it away. But I think the ultimate kind of place of, of not being short-tempered and having a quick um, kind of anger is really out of, out of a sense of peace of, with God. And that's a matter of, of releasing control. I remember sitting around in a circle of, of about 10 men in a small group. And I, I asked them, I said, how many of you guys would be honest and said, how many of y'all? have anger problems. Like, you just be honest. And I thought I'd get a few hands. Every single dude raised his hand. I'm like, well then, amen, let's talk. Um, I said, furthermore, how many of your, you saw anger issues displayed in your fathers? How many percentage? Every single one of them raised their hand. I was blown away. I was blown away. It's, it's almost genetic and hereditary that it's been passed down um, and, and it's something we've got to be mindful of, and I think we've got to really trace the root of this, and I, I think it's a lot because we're, we're not in control. Someone's not, it's never about the toothpaste, it's never about the dishes, it's never about the memo that didn't get sent to you and it got sent to everybody else, right, for the birthday party or whatever it was. It's, ne- it's never about that. It's really about us not being in control of others and us maybe not even releasing control of our own life in certain aspects of our life. And we do that, we're prone to a life of peace, a real life of peace of God that knows that he is in control, a daily submission, just like we're crucifying the flesh of selflessness, um, we're raising up and, and bowing down in submission to the Lord on a daily basis, of not our will, but his will. And that brings peace over our life because I know that he's in control. It, date, like Love is it, it, such an action that it's challenged, right? Patience is challenged, and it gets to go deeper when you find someone that you can't be patient with anymore, right? Um, every season kind of presents itself, and we have an opportunity to grow in maturity in the Lord in these different things. And I feel like for me, it's just another one. Um, just to tell you a little bit of my testimony, I, I had like, ser- like serious, serious anger issues as, as a child. Most people would not know it. They feel like they'd have to really, really work hard to fluster me and make me angry. Um, at home, it's a little bit safer, so sometimes I, I just let it out. But most people just being around me, like, man, you have to really work hard to, to make him angry. Um, but knowing this test- my testimony of, man, when I really encountered the love of God and released control of my life in receiving Jesus Christ, not as just my Savior, but as my Lord over the everyday life, that's when things started to change in my anger. And it, it felt like it flipped overnight. This, it wasn't like a gradual thing. I mean, I still had to, to battle some of it, but it, it was like overnight. God just gave me this peace, peace. And that's the lives that we should be leading in our homes, that we should be peaceable. But if you're on Facebook, you know that it seems like Christians are the worst ones. We're ready to get upset and angry about everything, right? We're ready to go with our picket, <laughs> with our picket signs, and we're just ready to be angry about everything. And if you'd like to go picketing, I'm not mad at you. Um, but, but what's that birthed out of? I, I think when we worry about the future, when we worry about that, we're not resting in the peace of God. And I think that's what he's pressing into here 
is, is to live a life of peace, to not be easily irritated or angered. Later in Ephesians, that chapter 4 that we were just looking at, it says this, In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on you while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. I, I can't get into this like I want to today, but go back. If, if you're really dealing with some anger issues and you need to press into it, go back to late March on our podcast stuff. I did a message just on anger, and I taught this scripture. Um, it's okay to be angry, but don't sin. Don't let it cross that line when it moves into sin. It's okay to be angry. Take, take the, the words, deal with it. Don't let the sun go down. Deal with that anger. Um, move on um, while you're still angry. And then don't give the devil a foothold because that's what he wants to do in our anger. It irritates, it provokes, it, it just it builds on top of each other. So usually when we're short, we're not dealing with something, right? We're not dealing with something down in the root that we really need to have a conversation with our spouse. We need to have a conversation with the Lord. We need to have a conversation with our boss, with our friend, with our mom, whatever it is. So um, go back to that message if you're kind of uh, up against some of that. Let's, let's, let's wrap this up. But the last one, and love keeps no record of wrong. Love keeps no records of wrong. Basically, forgiveness. It's the essence of what the life that God calls us to in his love is to understand and embody forgiveness. This, um, when I talk about a lot, I talk a lot about in um, marriages, I talk about it in friendships. Um, you ever take somebody out to lunch, and then next time you guys go out to lunch, like you, you paid for it the first time, and the next time, you're not expecting them to pay for it, but you're kind of expecting them to pay for it, <laughs> you know? And you don't want to bring it up, um, and we do this, like, or, or someone said, hey, I need to borrow five bucks, and then we kind of, we don't write it down on our phone, but we write it down on our phone just to remember, we got to go get our five bucks back. Um, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's um, with an, in a coworker or a spouse that we often keep record of wrong, and I always say we've got to destroy the scoreboard that's in our head particularly within the body of Christ, particularly in marriage relationships. Because I, I have to, this is one of, the, probably more than anything else when I, I do counseling, um, with, particularly with married couples, this is one of the biggest things that is like a, oh, yeah, that is kind of bad. I do do that. It's like every single one, it's a light bulb. Like, yeah, that's wrong, and I, and I, I shouldn't be doing that. And, and he tells us right here that love keeps no record of wrong. Um, some of you guys are, it's football season, and some of you guys are keeping score of your fantasy stats, and ladies, some of you, you, you may be into that, others not, but um, checking the score every minute, and we do this in our relationships too, we're constantly checking the score on what we did, what they didn't do, where they're falling short, where we're not falling short, and we're just comparing, and I'm just reminded of the text, that he's like, you look at everybody else's like, speck in their eye and you've got a plank in your own and while I don't think we should be constantly reflecting on our own sins because Jesus has paid for them I think maybe just remembering that illustration of there's a speck in my eye too right there's there's something in my eye too and understanding the depth of God's forgiveness for us and his love for us embodies us to be able to pass that on and to give that to others. I remember hearing a, a, a story 
Actually, let me, let me, read, the, let me read the scripture here. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 17. We, we read just a little bit earlier in 15. Therefore, if anyone's a new creation, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We were talking about that earlier. Keep going. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the same message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be in these right actions of forgiveness. I heard the story um, years ago of a, a woman in the, in the Middle East who, <clears throat> in the middle of the night, two uh, men came into her house and killed her husband and killed her two sons, um, murdered, like cold blood in front of her face. Um, I can't imagine the devastation of losing all of my family, like, at the same time, uh, in, my, in, in seeing that. I, I can't even imagine recovering from that, um, let alone to act how this lady act, acted. Uh, time went on, and they came to court, all this processing of everything that went on, and they finally got to the sentencing portion, and I think that's usually when they give the, the victim's family, they give them an opportunity to say something, at least here in the, uh, the West and in her country, uh, they gave her that opportunity as well. And she, she came to the, the mic and, and said, in regards to their sentencing, what she felt was fair in just her time, she said, Judge, I don't know if this would be acceptable as punishment, but what I'd like to suggest as far as their punishment is that once a month, they would have to come and spend the weekend with me. And I would have the opportunity to serve them and let these boys understand what real love is because they obviously don't understand that and they need to. Um, I mean, that just kind of hits you. I mean, this is a real story that really happened. And um, I, I just can't imagine the weight and the emotion and the strength and the real deep, genuine love, like the real love, like Nothing in our physical will allow that other than understanding God's love in our life. And maybe, maybe you don't have this kind of big unforgiveness issue. Maybe you don't have this big anger issue. Maybe you don't have this big selfish issue. Maybe you don't have this big dishonor issue. But I believe that God wants to do something in us. I believe that he wants to do something in our relationships and with us being his ambassadors. And I think that every single one of us could probably go through each one of those and be like, yeah, in some ways I do see that. I do see that. I do see that. Yeah, I am struggling with that. And I don't know what's going on in your life and what the specific challenges you're up against. Um, but I know this is the life that God's called us to. And, and, and it's not feasible in our own to be able to do that. Christ has shown the way. He's beat the path. We cling to the cross. We find our hope in him and he leads us to live in this manner that's outside of normal 
relationships, outside of what's comfortable, outside of what we were taught, except through his scriptures and except through the example of Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you to stand. Jason's going to lead us. I'm going to invite us to the table here in just a moment. But um, I want us to pray in this house that God would um, meet us right where we're at and we'd have the opportunity uh, to encounter God's love in a fresh way. We can't give what we have not received. This isn't an option to walk in these manners. It's, it's, it's indispensable. If we don't, it doesn't matter what we have, we don't have love, then, then we're missing it. Let's pray. God, we thank you. I thank you for your work at the cross, God. And I, I know that some of us are being challenged, God, to, to let go of areas that we've long held on to, areas of anger, angers, um, areas of, uncon- or, uh, of control, areas of unforgiveness. God, I think some of us are staring those things right in the face and we're struggling to let go. Um, And I just pray, God, like Abraham with his son doing the hardest thing ever and like you with your son Jesus, the hardest thing ever is to, to lay down your one and only son, God. I pray that we would just release and know that you're in control, know that you're gonna provide a ram, God. We know that it's an apt sacrifice and it's, good for the for our salvation God and I just pray God that you would bring us into newness of spirit the rightness of thought and action that we'd be we keep each other accountable and encouraged to walk in this manner of honor of selflessness God of peace and of forgiveness we find our hope in you Christ in Jesus name we pray amen